Well, good morning. How many of you ever remember sitting in a church without air conditioning? Praise God for the air conditioning. If you weren't singing for anything else this morning, that's one thing we give God great thanks for. You know, I'm really, um, it's kind of, it hit me this week that this is the last in this series on acceptable addictions, and I've, I've kind of liked doing this sequel and as you remember, we've, we've kind of based it on this verse of Scripture that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, everything is permissible for me. And in Corinth, in that city, there was this kind of, well, we can do anything. We can do anything now. Everything's permissible for me. And then Paul writes, but not everything's beneficial. And then he kind of, in a quote again, as if people were saying, everything's permissible for me. And then Paul makes this incredible statement, but I will not be mastered by anything. So how many are ready to give up their caffeinated coffee? No, just. It's really interesting. We've been going through this, and this is the last in the series. I'm excited about the next series. I really hope you'll be a part of that. It's, it's called Unexplainable, and it's just be stories of God encounters. And, and that's why we want kind of some of your stories, whether they're God encounter really significant moments that are just, you know, those moments where you go, it was God, kind of the wow God thing, or whether it's just like, Lindsay had said some things that are just fun or happy. We really want to honor the things that God has been doing in our life through this body as we continue to move into the things that God is doing in the future for us. So um, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about some of the messages coming up. Um, It won't be just me. There'll be a number of different individuals who will be sharing some of their stories. So please invite some people to that. I think you'll really um, enjoy this series coming up. This week, though, we are finishing after we've been talking about the acceptable addictions that our culture just has around us that we fall into because it's just a part of the way that we're being shaped and formed. We talked about being hurried and how you can become a hurryaholic or or, or legalism where rules become far more important than relationship. And we spoke a, a bit about laziness. And then last week, we talked about anger, and I had a whole bunch of angry people afterwards. But anyway, why did you talk about that? Judgment. We're talking about judgment this morning. Let's bow our head in prayer. Father, I just thank you for every person here and for the fact that you are present with us. And I I would ask that you would take our hearts as we just um, would be open before you. So we've been worshiping you and our hands have kind of let go, as as Brittany had said, of the fear. We've kind of just said, God, here, our hands are open. May our hearts be open and may you speak, Holy Spirit, I pray. We invite you to be here in our midst, to be working and empowering and, and moving through us as a people as we give glory to Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Anybody remember, there was a headline, now you've got to go back a bit to the 70s, but it actually became a movie, and it was called The Gentleman Bandit. Anybody recall that, The Gentleman Bandit? It occurred in the late 70s, the movie was made in the early 80s. What happened was there were banks in New Jersey that had been robbed systematically one after another. They just, you know, a robbery, and they were trying to figure out who it was. And what made this robber stand out was that he was very polite. He was a very polite person and and very cautious and careful with the people when he came in to to do the robbery. And he would often just give the tellers a note which said, please place your money in the bag, thank you. And the newspapers began to call him the gentleman bandit. 
And the widespread publicity led to a very unlikely arrest. They actually arrested a Catholic priest. And the church was appalled and stood beside him. They couldn't believe it. Saying they, they just knew he couldn't be the bandit. And so they signed petitions. They did protest marches. They came up with his bail. Just saying if that ever happens. <laughs> I'm expecting something. Anyway, but the police were certain they had their man. And during the investigation, at one point, a woman who claimed to have been this priest, Pagano's lover, gave his name to the police. That was kind of what set him on the track of, of going after him. And all the eyewitnesses then positively identified him. And the news media then at that point took over. You know how that, that goes. And, and you know how the news media, they just, you know, how when we had that, that, that chase recently of these two guys, convicts, got out of, you know, how they story every day, you get a little more pieces. Well, that was going on with this story. And they took over, and they started digging into his past, and they found that he must be surely hiding something because they reasoned for a priest. He had a pretty expensive lifestyle. He actually owned his own apartment. That's not really typical with priests. And he had a fast car. And so they started building these things up, and his church, they reasoned, was probably just standing up for him because they didn't want to look like a bunch of dupes who had been fooled. Well, as the people across the country watched this story unfold, they were positive this priest had pulled a fast one. They began to think he probably had some kind of sociopath personality where he could actually go out during the week, because pastors only work on Sundays, right? So during the week... (laughs) He could go out and he could rob banks, but then on Sunday had no guilt and would stand up and before his congregation would share things of truth and God's word. But then a funny thing happened. The real gentleman bandit was caught red-handed. And in a dramatic turnabout, Ronald Clauser came forward with the lawyer and admitted that he was the gentleman bandit in court. He pleaded guilty, went to prison, and the charges against the priest Pagano were dropped. And as it turned out, what was interesting about this case was that Pagano was a spitting, the the guy who was, Ronald Clauser was a spitting image of the priest Pagano. It just was that it wasn't Pagano. And so the priest was released, his church threw a big party for him, the news media and those who had prematurely judged him kind of felt a bit sheepish. Unfortunately, when you think about that story, that true story is all too common in our own lives. Without knowing all the facts, how often do you rush to a judgment? How often can you begin to, because we're so good at rationalizing things, how often can you take the things that you see and build a case in your mind and begin to begin to move to a place where you can sentence someone for something that wasn't even true? Right or wrong, I think the Christian church has a bad reputation sometimes as being a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. And I've had a countless, countless conversations with people who have been hurt by the church and who have said, you know, they're just hypocrites. And, and they can use it as an excuse, but they have been hurt. And they have said, I won't step within the doorway of a church because of that. And really, when you think about it, it's a tragedy. And Jesus is really interesting because 
he speaks out against this tragedy, that it shouldn't be the case. And in Luke chapter 6, we're going to look at some verses this morning, verses 37, 36, we're going to actually do through 42. We're going to look at these verses. And what I think is interesting, if you have a Bible and, or if you look at the one in the pew, but we'll put this, probably the verses up there. But I love the idea of the verse notations. So understand these verse notations, the numbers that were put in there were put in at a long time after these were written. These were written like long letters without those kind of breaks. And so the verse notations are great because I can tell you, go, to, you know, go and take a look at Luke chapter 6, ask you to look at verse 36 and you'll be able to find it. But what is a little unfortunate is when they put in the little phrases like judging others or love for enemies or tree and its fruit, which are fine because they're little headings that kind of give you the idea. But when you read this scripture, I have to share with you, verse 36 should be repeated. It should be repeated above and repeated below because it is a transitional verse. Before Jesus begins to start speaking about what he says in verse 37, he wants this to be heard. He doesn't want you to miss this. He doesn't want you to go do not judge right away. He wants you to read these verses. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Then he says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I just have to say, when I was reading through this and I was really studying and praying about this verse before I actually looked at any of the commentaries, the next few verses kind of threw me. I wasn't sure where Jesus was going or where Luke was going with this account. He says, he also told them this parable. So as he says these things, he stops and he says, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. It's the idea of teaching, right? If you have a body of knowledge and you understand maybe simple math, you want your students in a certain grade to understand math by the time they get done. They will be like you knowing what you know. Or if you're teaching a class on politeness, you want them not just to know about politeness, but you want them to actually do what you do. That was the role of a teacher, a rabbi, if you want to use the word, was that people would know what you know and do what you do. So here we go. Jesus says you'll be like the rabbi or the teacher. And then he makes this statement. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? These are very familiar scriptures. Even if you haven't been a part of a church, you've probably heard these. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now we're going to kind of stand on one side of this fence because I just want you to note that Jesus does not say you don't remove the speck from the person's eye, okay? There is a proper place to discern and understand and to move into truth and to help a person deal with their behavior with regard to something that is in their life that might be causing them and others harm. But what Jesus is talking here is about the acceptable addiction that we have to build a case in our mind and to judge the person and condemn the person. Okay? So there's three things I want to share with you because I want to kind of just unpack these verses and then I'm going to move into some things of what you can judge and what you can't judge or what you can't and can. 
Anybody want to, you know, you can't leave it without having an idea what you can judge, right? Okay. Be very careful not to foster and develop a judgmental spirit. Is what I believe Jesus is saying in these first few verses, 36 to verse 38. He is, he is saying, be merciful. Your father's merciful. He's the perfect judge. He knows all things. And if you note the very first words out of the mouth of Jesus after he has been teaching, the section on loving your enemies is about not judging and condemning. It's a very important thing for us to understand. Because once you've received mercy, once you've accepted, maybe you have come to a place where you have a, a work of God in your heart. He's dealt with you in a merciful way. You know your sins caused the fact that his son had to die on the cross. And once you experience this, you go, what an incredible gift, God, you've been so merciful to me. And then he says, don't move back into a relationship with other people where you go around condemning them when you've been given mercy. Don't be withholding forgiveness when you have been forgiven. Don't be stingy with what God's given you when you have been given generously to. And so his first point is, be very careful not to foster and develop a judgmental spirit. Verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Matthew 7, 1 is a parallel passage to this. And Jesus is an itinerant preacher. And, and itinerant preachers, when they get a good message and good illustrations, they'll use them again and again. They're kind of the bane of people like myself who preach on a weekly basis. Because when a good itinerant preacher comes in, he comes in and he gives you a message and he gives you a, a, a message he spoke a hundred times with the, with the illustrations a hundred times and everyone goes, wow, wasn't he fantastic? And you go, yeah, he better be. <laughs> so, so when we read these things about Jesus, Jesus was a very good preacher who went from area to area who would use some of these same stories and some of these same statements Again and again. And one of these is this right here. So at one point, Matthew records what he probably says in a number of different places where he taught. And he says, do not judge or you'll be judged. A little differently than the way Luke said it. But the Greek in this is really important. It's a present imperative verb which implies continuous action. When you read it, do not judge or you too will be judged. It's not saying do not judge once. He's making a very important statement. Do not be a judging person. Do not develop within you this spirit that's critical. Don't have this spirit that, that looks for faults and, and is always kind of looking for flaws and moves to the negative side when it sees a situation or sees a person. Because that is like an infection that can spread not only in your attitude, but also with those around you and the very community that you're a part of. Make sure, says Jesus, you don't fall prey to this acceptable addiction. Don't develop the habit of judging and condemning others. What he's saying is rather develop the habit of being merciful, forgiving, and generous. Because the verse 37 through verse 38 is just this. Forgiven people forgive. Generous people give generously. Forgiven you'll be forgiven, says Jesus. Given, it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Actually, it's a, it's, it's a golden rule teaching of Jesus right here. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do you know that the way you, if, if you live with a condemning attitude towards yourself, you will also live that way out towards others. There's a sense that when you have received forgiveness and you move into that place, you begin to move into a place where you also are forgiving others. In the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the question that I would love to present to you, in fact, more important than that, the, the question that Jesus is giving you, I think his spirit might be speaking to your heart. 
at least listen to this, I think the question that Jesus asks is this. Are you or have you developed a negative, judgmental, and critical spirit? If you were to be really honest and and ask the person next to you if you've come with someone or someone you know really well, what might their answer be? How about where you work? You took kind of a poll, a survey, what would it be like? A negative, judgmental, critical spirit is addictive, and Jesus says it's a sin. It harms you, and it harms your family, and it harms the people you hang with, and it harms also the communities that you're involved with. And so if you read Luke 6, you'll find that the default stance of the follower of Jesus, someone who is living out the expression of the kingdom of God, the default stance is mercy. It's mercy. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, give generously. Let this be your addictive tendency. Because as you give, it will be given to you. You live under your own sentence of condemnation. In fact, if this is true, you may wonder if you truly know Jesus in a saving, merciful love because Jesus says, for out of the overflow of your mouth, your heart, your mouth speaks. What comes out of what's in your heart is what you're living. Second thing he says is be very careful who you listen to hang around with and who you allow to guide your life. That was the thing that I was reading this. I was going, Lord, what, why did you stop here and tell this little story, which is a parable, a story. Can the blind lead the blind? Will then it both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And I read this and I prayed about it until I made this connection in my heart as I was really going through the Bible. And I looked at some of the concordance and I looked at it again and it just reminded me, oh yeah, blind guide, I know what that means. Jesus is calling certain people blind guides all the time. You know who that is? He talks about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Matthew 15, 14 says this. Leave them, he's speaking to his disciples and those who are listening to him. Leave them. They, the Pharisees, are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, I got to tell you, as I read through some of these things, Jesus was one of, had to be the most bold person around. Can you imagine him saying these things? It'd be as if he's talking to a group of people, and there's some people who are, in in that day they would usually sit and the people would stand, which is the way it probably should be today. But anyway, you guys get to sit. And Jesus would sit on the hillside and he'd speak, and and the people would listen. And in in the midst of it all were a bunch of Pharisees and scribes, and he would say things like Matthew 23, 16. Woe to you, blind guides. You you say if, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. Where is that in Scripture? Matthew 23, 24. You blind guides, you strain out the gnat, but swallow a camel. Here's what he's saying here. He's just as saying in a similar way with this story attached to it. You blind guides. And then he goes into the next story. You get this huge log in your eye, and you're trying to pull out specks in other people's lives. And that's why I think Jesus is simply saying, if I was to put this little story in, in a way that I, I think is a teaching moment for us, it says, be very careful who guides you. Be very careful with regard to the community of faith you are a part of and also the company of friends whom influence you. Have you ever thought of that? I think Jesus is making a real strong point here. The community of faith. 
He's basically saying, be very careful when you have teachers who are teaching you in the way of God. Be very careful the, the church, if you want to put it that, or the community where you find your belief being strengthened in God. Be very careful about the teaching and the tone of that ministry. Does it hold to the truth? Does it hold to the truth and yet do so with mercy and grace? As you think of the tone of the teaching... Is the overall tone grace and mercy, or is it guilt, condemnation, and judgment? He also talks about a company of friends, which, when you think about it, just think about who you spend time with in their conversation. And this isn't just friends. This, this is, in a sense, the company of friends, which could be TV shows, news stations you listen to. Do you find that most of the conversation is negative? It points out faults. It looks at situations with suspicion and distrust. When you're maybe with a person or a certain group of people, do you find that 70 to 80% of the stuff that is discussed is critical and judgmental? Are you with people who are constantly calling other people's motivations into question and leaving you with a bit of suspicion. Be careful who influences you because you become who you're with is what Jesus is saying. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. I didn't get to read it last week, so I thought I'd bring it in this week. It says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who is easily angered, or you may learn their ways and yourself get ensnared. I think the proverb in the teaching of Jesus here is very clear. Be very careful, says Jesus, who you listen to, hang around with, and who you allow to guide your life. You become who you are influenced and what you are influenced by. If you're guided by a negative and a critical spirit, you will develop more than likely a negative and critical spirit. What you take in makes a difference. And then he says one last thing here in verses 41 through 42 now illustrates this little parable. He, I think he says, be very careful you don't look like a fool through your self-deception. Okay? Be aware of how easy it is to be self-deceived. Or as they say, denial is more than just a river in what? Egypt, right? Some of you remember Charles Schultz and Peanuts, Right? And we should, because he was from, I believe, this area. And my dad's here, and um, this is the last Sunday that he's going to be with us. He's been with us for a few weeks, and it's been wonderful. Uh, and when he preached, he would use illustrations. And he, uh, he used to love Charles Schultz and Peanuts comic strip, so much so that people in the church gave you a little Schultz stuff. And anyway, I thought you might relate to this conversation between Lucy and Linus. Linus asked Lucy, you know how that is, Linus carrying like He asked Lucy, he says, why are you always so anxious to criticize me? And she answers, I just think I have a knack of seeing other people's faults. <laughs> what about your own faults, asked Linus. Her response is, I have a knack for overlooking them. <laughs> and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 6, 41 and 42. We don't see the sliver because we have a knack of overlooking our own faults. We are so much harder on what we see in others, and we can see so much more clearly others than we see in ourselves. Especially the sins of the spirit and attitude. Especially things like pride, the critical, grumbling, lack of joy, ungrateful, filled with anxiety rather than peace kind of attitudes. 
Jesus is using, I believe, hyperbole at its best. He, he, this is, it's, it's really to be humorous. It's, in fact, I think it's Jesus' humor sometimes at his best. It's amazing, Jesus says, how we can see the speck of sin in someone else and miss the log in our own eye. That's why he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? It's, it's really rather funny. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. It's like, you know, have you ever sat there where you kind of go, oh, let me, let me look at that here. And, and there's a little, you're, you can hardly see it and you're looking. But the idea is you're doing that with someone and you've got this big plank coming out of your eye. That's foolish. How often we the self-deceived, and it could be, I know it's true for me. I, 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 one of the wonderful things of, 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 of having a spouse who loves the Lord and, and is involved in your life, and, and the two of you are working to try and grow, to become like Jesus, is in those conversations where they can point out things in ways that you don't see for yourself, where, where they'll point out things such as, a judgmental spirit. I've, I've had that happen. It's so easy to live in denial of your own judgments of people. And you may be there right now having the log in your eye. And I just, I have to ask you to think for a second. When God is looking at that, what do you think he thinks is worse? The speck that you may see in someone else's life of sin Whatever you might think is really bad, whether you think it's adultery or divorce or a gay lifestyle or, or you name all the different things that just go, you're revulsed by. And, and maybe in the eyes of God, he is so revulsed, not even by that because he understands maybe what's going on there, but he's revulsed by the pride, the condemning spirit. What do you think might be worse? It seems that Jesus says this is pretty bad. So what I want to do is take just a few minutes here, and I'm going to leave, I know I'm going to leave a number of questions when I do this, because I can't answer all these. This would be like a teaching time for a couple of weeks, okay? So I'm going to go through a few things so that you can, you can kind of begin to think about, because um, questions are really good, by the way. So if I leave some questions, what's really great about questions is if you have the Holy Spirit, and you have other good godly people, and you have the Word of God, and you have places where you can find teaching, you can go and get those questions. Um, begin to say, God, help me understand this. Give me revelation. Give me understanding. So I'm going to raise hope, maybe some questions. John 7, 24, at one point Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, stop, quit it, don't make superficial judgments. Do not judge by mere appearances. But isn't it interesting? He says, make right judgments. So what's a right judgment? Let me share with you a few. But I'm going to first share with you the don'ts, Okay? Here are the ones you are not to judge. Here's when Christians are not to judge. Do not pass judgment on people for their moral failures. It's not your job. Romans 2, and we have to go to some other verses in the Bible to just kind of get this. Paul is writing in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. I could go through more, but he's quite explicit in this letter. He says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. He's not saying what's being judged is even wrong. He's saying it's not your job. It doesn't mean we don't ever share what we believe, but we always do so out of a, out of a heart of love. 
But the biggest problem is we usually are not real good when we talk about wanting to separate the sin and the sinner. We, we have, I think, difficulty as a church being able to truly love the sinner. Another is this. Do not judge others regarding to what, what Paul says is disputable matters. In Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 10, you can read these on your own. I hope they raise some questions. I hope you go after this. But he writes, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Matters that are, 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 are kind of gray. They're not, they're not black and white. We know the Bible says there are certain laws that you, if you violate them, you will actually catch this. God isn't going to break you. Those laws break you. If you kind of stand up, if you're going to say, now let's just take moral laws, but I'll use one like this. If you're standing on a 10-story building and you jump off it, what's going to get broken? You are. Because there's a law called gravity. There are laws in the Word of God that says when they're violated, you get broken by them. You may not happen right away, but it will happen. But what he says, there are things that are disputable. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eat only, eats only vegetables. Which I don't get that, but anyway... Um, I had a friend who said, yeah, he ate vegetables. And I'd say, you eat vegetables? He never ate vegetables, but he would eat, he'd eat um, chocolate and call them vegetables. Anyway, um, the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. The man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And catch this, and he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. And then he goes on, he says some things about what Sunday, you know, when you worship on the Sabbath. And then he says in verse 10, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or do you think, or do you look down on your own brother? For, catch this, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Yes, we can offend God. Yes, you can um, step outside of the, the, the laws of God. And you will yourself be broken by those very things. There is a judgment that he says is coming. But it's not ours to judge one another when it comes to disputable matters. Paul's, Paul's point, I think, then and today is this. On those things that are up for dispute, it was much more important for you to follow your own conscience than for you to be the conscience of someone else. Don't judge. And there are all kinds of things of disputable matters. Alcohol use, tattoos, movie ratings, driving over the speed limit. Anybody ever do that? Anyway, um, theological debates, like exactly how the end times will end. Anybody know here? Um, and yet we get so like, this is the way it is. We will ultimately, each of us, answer to God. We don't answer to one another in that way. And then, do not judge motives. I, this is I'm going to just be really clear on. Do not judge motives. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed times. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. And, and, and what he's making very clear is we may see behavior that, that is disputable and, and look at the motives, but let's see we see even behavior that is wrong. We, we, we should share very frankly with behavior that we see that harms someone or harms others, and we do so always out of heart of love, but we can't ever judge the heart and motive. That's God. 
uh, a few, a number of years back. I met, some of you will remember Ann Landers was an advice columnist. And I was reading this when I was reading some different um, material on this, and I thought it was interesting. A, a grocery store checkout clerk once wrote her, this advice columnist, Ann Landers, she, and she was complaining about people who were spending their, um, what they had, uh, their, their food stamps on what would be called luxury food items back then, which you could, were able to do. They would buy like birthday cakes and bags of shrimp. And, and she was just kind of abhorred by the fact that they would be doing that. And, and she, she went on to say that she thought all those people on welfare who treated themselves to such non-necessities were lazy and wasteful. And a few weeks later, as it would often happen when something like that would come out, Lander's column was devoted entirely to people who had responded to the grocery clerk. So she had a whole bunch of responses, but one woman wrote... I'm the woman who bought the $17 cake and paid for it with food stamps. I thought the checkout woman in the store would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know is the cake was for my little girl's birthday. It will be her last. She has bone cancer and will probably be gone within six to eight months. There is no way any of us can know exactly why someone else is doing something. And honestly, we can save, says Jesus, ourselves and a whole lot of other people a lot of grief if we would quit, as Jesus says, standing in judgment. And especially, he says, of motives. Do not judge unbelievers, 1 Corinthians 5, 12-13. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church, says Paul? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside the church, is his point. In fact, John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so you've got to figure, if Jesus didn't condemning, come condemning the world, probably not my job. Probably not our job, if we're followers of Jesus. And the Bible's clear, the role of the Christian is to love, accept, and forgive unbelievers. And through our kindness, even at the point of suffering, leading them to a place of repentance. Because that's exactly what God did. Because God's way of dealing with disobedience is patience, kindness, and mercy with the hope that someday, it says in Romans, they will come to repentance before it's too late. Okay, so now how many would like to know what they can judge? Okay. I'm just going to give you a couple things. And what's really interesting, when Christians are called to judge, the leash is really short. He doesn't give us this long leash of judgment. The first is we are to judge ourselves, 1 Corinthians 11, 31 through 32. But if we judged ourselves, he said, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. And Paul calls upon us to judge ourselves. He says we are to examine the things we say. We're to take time to examine the things we do. We are to look into our heart and try and understand what's going on there so that we can allow God's Spirit to create in our heart a new heart that so out of the overflow of our heart, both our mouth and our, and our actions speak. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at when he said get the plank out of your own eye, right? That's a self-examination kind of place. And the focus of our judging is to be on our actions, and even with regard to this. Not on the actions of others even so much, but our own actions. And what I think is interesting, even Paul says, be very careful that you don't even get too deep in judging your own motivations. 
Listen to what he says in Acts, in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Isn't it interesting? I mean, I, I examine myself and I do the best I can, and, and I recognize that before God, as best I can, my conscience is clear, but I know I'm still not innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, the judge, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart, and at that time, each will receive their praise from God. And let me share with you one last thing. We are to judge unrepentant, especially leaders within a body, unrepentant sin among those who claim to be Christians for the hope of restoring someone. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4 says this, It is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that does not occur even among the pagans. A man has his father's wife, and Paul goes on to say, you need to deal with that. That is just wrong. It's not only harmful to him, it's harmful to the community, it's harmful to the message of Jesus. And so Paul gives an example of someone who's claiming to be a Christian but who's engaged in sexual relations with his stepmother and such activity activity clearly comes under those things that God has spoken against. And, And I just want you to catch this point. There really is a right and a wrong. The Bible gives us clear guidance about how we are to live our lives. The Ten Commandments give clear guidance about things like stealing or worshiping idols and coveting. The Bible calls all of us to believe, to live in obedience. It calls all of us to come around one another, to encourage one another. But if you read in Galatians 6.1, listen to these words. Even when it comes to judging another person in the body of Christ, Paul says, Brothers, even if anyone is caught in a trespass or sin, you Listen to who he says, you who are spiritual. I think he's saying you who are people who are by default, by mercy and grace, are able to come in and speak truth, and when you do so, they know they love you. Restore such one in a spirit of, now listen to what he says again, of gentleness. Each looking to yourself so that you yourself won't be tempted. Because what's the temptation? It's pride and self-righteousness. And so God is making it clear. There are some things that we examine our own life. We examine our own body where we call ourselves believers who walk with the Lord. But there are a whole lot of things that I just listed that we're not to judge. And we're not to condemn. Now I I will just close. The team can come forward. I'm going to share with you just some suggestions in developing a merciful, forgiving, generous spirit. One is, and they come right out of these passages, treat others as God treats you. Your default stance is mercy. Secondly, be careful who guides you. Both your community of faith and your company of friends are very important to pay attention to. Third, look for the positive in each situation and person. Bless others. Look for ways to bless someone. I received an email just yesterday was um, sent to me, and, and I was a little bit bummed because the person was kind of glowing in some things that I wouldn't want them to. They were kind of new to their faith. It came in older years. But I remember I was just praying about how to respond, and I just really felt like I respond positively because in doing so, it was really interesting. I had opportunity because the person contacted me later to actually talk further about that in a setting where it wasn't with others. It's, it's so much of what we do is how do we respond to a situation to open the door so we can go further in conversation with someone? Remember this, and here's the biggie. This is the last one. And if it's all you need to remember from this whole message, you are not God.
I could have just stood up and said that, and you guys would have said, oh, that would have saved us a lot of time. Um, you're not God. Don't forget you may be wrong. You may be wrong. You don't see what God sees. You don't know what God knows. You don't understand the circumstances that have happened behind it all. Don't forget you may be worse. That's what we were looking at. You're not God. You don't see what God sees. You don't know what God knows. He may see your sin of pride as a lot worse than what you see in that person. Don't forget you're not God. Live with a stance to give mercy. Mercy always triumphs over grace. I was thinking about this when I was giving my parents a ride and we were going down towards the old Target in the crystal area where we would get bumpers, shoes. You remember bumpers, these little tennis shoes? Okay, well, my mom would take me to... But I remember looking and I looked over at the McDonald's and it's been updated, but I looked over at the McDonald's that parking lot and it was there. And I shared this story with you where mercy triumphed over judgment in a way that marked my life because mercy, when it triumphs over judgment, marks people's lives. I had done this stupid thing where I was trying to impress some girls throwing these little stones against the window of some guys before me was showing me how to throw pennies and they chipped it. I didn't have a penny, but I wanted to impress the girls, so I threw these stones and kind of cracked the window and it got bigger and bigger through the fall. It got colder and colder. It spidered out and finally superintendent or the principal called me in the office. The day of judgment came. We all have a day of judgment. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, I can either tell your dad or you can. Well, I went home. He gave me a couple days and that I knew the next night was the night of the big football banquet and I was getting awards and so we went to this thing, went to the banquet. My dad afterwards said, let's go to McDonald's and get a shake. And I'm going, oh no, I gotta tell him. And I we're sitting there with shakes, and I tell my dad about the window. I'm expecting I'm going to have to pay a million dollars, you know, because as a kid, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know if he even talked to the principal, even to this day, but he uh, looked over at me, and he said, that's all right, because he could just see how repentant my spirit was. And he marked me with mercy. There are people waiting to be marked with mercy in your life, not condemnation.